This is Two Girls in a Campfire, and I'm Allison. And I'm Sarah, and we have a special surprise for you this week. What do we got going on, Allison? We have Cindy here, and she has a podcast, True Hauntings and Scary Stories. Because of her, our topic this week is going to be haunted houses. So, hey, Cindy. Hi. How are you guys? Good. How are you? Doing so great. Ready to talk about some spooks. Awesome. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your podcast? Sure. True Hauntings and Scary Stories. We have a new episode every Friday. It's usually, so the way I kind of have it set up at the moment is the even numbered episodes are me horror stories that I write. And then the odd numbered episodes are usually my, my sister and I, Brick, chit-chatting about a spooky story we heard or something that was submitted by a listener or uh, sometimes I interview people. Um, this next episode is going to be a paranormal investigation team that I'm interviewing. So that'll be fun. So yeah, talk about spooky things, man. And I have a Facebook group that we um, use every day. We're in there all the time, True Hauntings. And uh, my website is truehauntings.com. That'll get you pretty much everywhere you want to be. Awesome. Sounds good. I actually just listened to your interview with Daniel, the medium, and that was super awesome. So I was like, Ooh, yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah. So that was super fun. Since you are our guest, do you want to tell your story first? I can. Sure. Okay. So I was blessed enough, I say to grow up, basically grow up in a really haunted house. So my grandparents have a three-story big Victorian gothic mansion type of a house in St. Augustine, Florida. I spent pretty much every weekend there growing up and the behind the house is crazy. Like this is straight from a scary movie. I swear it. So the people that lived there before my grandparents were ex-carnival people like performers and stuff. And they were really reclusive, reclusive and very for Cocoa Puffs, <laughs> to put it kindly. So yeah, they just didn't leave the house much. And the lady of the house had two kids, a, a brother and sister that were half siblings because she had a first husband. And so she wouldn't let them leave. And this was early 1900s. The house was built in 1876. So eventually, as you could maybe imagine, um, the kids get to be young teenagers and um, naughty things begin to happen and they are with each other and the daughter becomes pregnant by her, by her half brother. And so the mom is furious, the lady of the house, that's what I call her. I don't give any names or my grandparents' names or anything because the house is still in my family and it is a... Um, a residential yeah, you know what? house. So we don't want people. Exactly. Yeah. And it's very, very well known in my hometown. So I don't want to stir anything up. <laughs> so she whisks the daughter off and she has the baby in secret. And the lady of the house raises the baby as her own and tells everyone it's her baby. So then that baby grows up. That's a little boy. And when he gets to be a young teenager, guess what happens? You're not even going to believe it. So the girl who birthed him no. lays with him and she gets pregnant again, but the time she's pregnant by her son who she had with her half brother, but, but she knows that's her son, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess they don't leave the house. So they were just like, whatever, how yeah. old would you have a baby? I don't think that makes it okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Not. <laughs> pretty messed up situation. So, um, so this time the lady of the house is furious 
And this time the, she has the daughter have the baby, but she does not tell anyone that that baby exists. No one knows the daughter's pregnant. It's very hush hush. And a baby on the third floor of the house as like, that's the baby's floor kind of deal. And the lady of the house will not have anything to do with it, but she will allow her kids to take care of it. So it's a little boy. And because of the incest, he is mentally handicapped and kind of off looking like a little deformed maybe. And so they keep him on the third, on the third floor. So the lady of the house is the many things she did at the, in the carnival and stuff. So she makes these big ball gowns for like rich people in St. Augustine. And she has a, a person over one night for a fitting and the little boy starts like causing a ruckus and the lady notices the noises and stuff. And the lady of the house explain it away. And that makes her very angry. And she'd already been warning her kids about that, that had already been happening before. So when her um, customer leaves, she storms to the third floor and locks the whole thing up and will not let anyone go up there to tend to him anymore. And he starves to death up there. That's terrible. Poor thing. Yeah. And you have to think he was mentally handicapped. So I can't imagine that he understood what was happening all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, everyone he knows is gone that my nanny had found like scratch marks in the floor and on the door where he was trying to get out, but couldn't figure it out. I'm sorry, Zimmy. How old, how old would he have been? My nanny thinks he was probably like five, like right in that range, you know? So, um, my nanny and grandpa, the reason they think that this is what happened is because when they bought the house, they knew the final family member before he passed. And he told them these things himself. And when they bought the house, it was condemned by the city. It was in that bad of shape. That family did not take care of the house. They were very messy hoarding type people and dirty. And so um, all everything they owned was in the house, journals, diaries, family photos, all that. So on top of hearing the stories from him, my nanny was also able to look through journals and diaries and and kind of piece some of it together that way too. So that's so awesome. I've always wanted to go and, you know, find mm -hmm. old history like that. That's awesome. Yeah. My sister and I, all of us little, little grandkids used to go to the third floor and like dig through big trunks of was and they were like the old photos that were metallic, you know, mm -hmm. really cool looking stuff. So the story goes that when he passed there, they didn't go get him right away. They finally went up there. The lady of the house finally unlocked it when smell became an issue. So she lets the kids go up and get him and they bury him in secret in the backyard. So no one ever really knew confirmation that he even existed, that that is where he still is. When they bought the house, did they know that he was did they know that before they bought the house? I guess is my question. They, they heard the stories from the previous owner before he passed away. Yeah. I don't know at that point, you know, once they bought the house and started digging through things and all that, then it was like, oh, well, I mean, uh, there was evidence of the boy in the room up there. He, you can see, you used to be able to see a Marina out the third floor window and he used to serve boats and things in the wall as his entertainment. So there were, you know, crudely drawn boat all and stuff like that. And then the claw marks on the door and floor, just really crazy. So they buried him in the backyard, we think. And uh, I have always wished that my family would look for him to confirm it. 
but my nanny never would. She was afraid that it would draw too much attention to her house. So she wouldn't do that. But yeah, so there's that. And then, so just growing up in that house, like noises, uh, door slamming, full-bodied female voices. Often I've caught so many EVPs in that house. I can't even begin. Whispers. uh, I never saw an apparition, like a person apparition, but I did see like an oval. You know how you look at a hot road and it's got that shimmery Mm -hmm. stuff on top of it? Well, it looked like that, but in the shape of an oval floating in the middle of the room. I saw that a couple of times, which is freaky. And then just as a kid, like that is an amazing house to play hide and seek in, but <laughs> you might not be alone. <laughs> like there were times that I'd be hiding under a piano or something. My grandparents loved music. So they had like a grand piano and a couple other smaller pianos in their living room. It's a really big living room. And I used to hide under there. And then every now and then it'd be like, oh, nope. It's cold under and it shouldn't be. <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> Somebody wants to play the piano. Yes. Yes, girl. So yeah, just creepy things like that. I Pretty much all of us have stories of weird things happen. My grandpa used to say that when they were first fixing the place up, he could not keep the doors on the third floor closed. He would close them at night and come back the next day and they'd be one. And that makes sense. You know, if you were trapped in there and starved to death, you wouldn't want the door to be closed. So you said that the house is still in the family. Has there been, I mean, has the activity always kind of stayed the same? Has it died down over the years? I think it's pretty much the same. Um, My nanny, my grandpa passed in 2012, but my nanny just passed in January. I wonder, I I live in Ohio and they're in Florida, so I don't know for sure, but I wonder if it's picked up even since then. Cause the last time I was there, I actually caught an EVP. I probably won't play that whenever I tell people about it, but I don't think I'll play it because it just feels too personal. I, it was on the day of her funeral and I turned my, my recording app. And right as I was turning the phone off, as we were about to leave, that's the only EVP I caught. And it said, I'm okay, which I don't know why nanny would worry about that. That's not possible. <laughs> well, what an amazing, I mean, what an amazing thing for you to have. Yeah. But that's, that's really incredible. Yeah. So yeah, we still catch thin air and that house is three stories with no central heat and air. There is zero reason why a cold spot should be in that house ever in the world, (laughs) but that it happens, man. It feels like somebody opened a refrigerator next to you and it shoots past you. It's bizarre. That's awesome. And I know, like I said, I listened to your podcast. So you say it's not so much the haunted houses, but you're haunted. So do you have experiences at your new house? My gosh, I have experiences in every house I've ever lived in, in my life. Everyone. Gosh, when we lived back home in Florida, still, I used to see shadow people in that house and hear whispers and and things. Yeah, that was weird. One time I had an infant, my youngest was an infant at the time, right? So I come out of my bedroom to, to nurse him in the middle of the night. And right when I open my door and walk out, I see the shadow of a perfectly formed man. I can't see his details because he's just black, but it's like a shadow of a, a man figure sitting on my couch. And the minute I open the door, he stands up and disappears. Yeah, that's scary. And I was like, great. Cause now I have to walk past there to go to this dark bedroom to nurse this baby. <laughs> like that's super. <laughs> yeah. So that, that happened to me a few times in that house. And then in the house we're currently in, 
right now, the main thing that happens is we will hear our, one of our sons, we have three sons, we'll hear one of them call us like Lam, and we will answer them and they won't answer back. So I'll go and check on them. Hey, what'd you need? Oh, I didn't call you. And it'll be their crisp, perfect voice clearly, you know, and then, oh, my husband, girl, my husband does not believe in the paranormal at all to me. So that's like, I don't understand that, but 23 years even. So I don't know. So about a year, year and a half ago, he went down into our basement to get something. And me and the other kids were upstairs and he came shooting up the stairs all of a sudden. And he's like, where's our son, our middle son. And I'm like, he's sitting right over there. And he's like, was he just talking? And I said, no, he wasn't. And he was like, oh my gosh, I just heard his voice right behind my head. And it said, I'm right here. But there was nobody on that basement floor with him. We were all upstairs. And I was like, see, and he still won't say it's a paranormal experience. He just says, I don't know. I don't understand. I can't explain it. Like, really, what's it going to take? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, what, some people just, they don't want to go there. They're not willing to ex- to even explore it. Yeah. So yeah, this stuff happens all the time. I, I see things too. So like in my living room of this current house, I just wa- went to walk through the living room and I saw a little boy standing in the middle of my living room, like, look, and I was like, okay, yep, that's nice to see you. <laughs> I don't know what to do. So, so Cindy, do you do any other, like, I mean, do you do any paranormal work? Like, I mean, obviously you are able to see things that maybe that a lot of other people aren't able to see or hear. Do you, do you feel like they're reaching out to you? I kind of do. My theory is that I must be sensitive to it. First of all, to the energy and it must be able to tell that. So I guess it, gravitates toward me, reaches out to me. I I mean, if you heard the Daniel, uh, spirit medium, Daniel episode, then you know that he told me that he thinks I'm a medium and should, um, build that talent or whatever, but I I haven't done that yet. Uh, He may be right. I mean, I can't explain it. I have stuff happen to me at the movies. I have stuff happen to me at friends' houses. I always joke. If you want to know if your place is haunted, just invite me over. I'll let you know. (laughs) So I don't know. I think the only thing I'm still haunted by the bad decorating decisions of the previous owner. (laughs) (laughs) We're still slowly chipping away at those. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. Uh, It doesn't scare me. Luckily, I've never had anything happen to me that seemed evil or, you know, demonic. I'm not even sure if I believe in demons per se. I just figure if you're a bad person in life, your energy is probably bad after that. So I don't know. Yeah. There's a medium here in Colorado that I really enjoy. And she, she kind of says the same thing that you kind of still are the same person, even in your, you know, spirit form. Yeah. That that seems logical to me. Well, that was awesome. Whose turn is it to go first, Sarah? Do you have a story for us? Yeah. Cindy, are you sticking around and you're going to, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Good. Feel free to interject, ask questions, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I am going to talk about uh, one of my favorite places here in Colorado, and that is the town of Georgetown. And this is um, on I-70 and it is just, well, it's actually, it's growing, right? Of course, it feels like everywhere is growing these days, but for a really long time, it's just been this kind of little tiny mountain town, uh, like the one room schoolhouse kind of place. 
And my wife's family actually has a lot of roots there. Her great grandmother used to teach at the school and her aunt and uncle own a home right next to the house where her grandparents lived. And it's just, it's just a really cool town. It has that really old architecture. And because it is one of the older towns in, you know, this part of Colorado, there are, there's this huge graveyard there. It's amazing because, I mean, there are some of these gravestones that go back 100, 150 years. And it's always amazing to me because some of them are just like, you know, actually crumbling and in such decay. And then other ones are perfectly, you know, they're the original headstone. They haven't been replaced, but they're in perfect condition and they're from the same time period. So, but there's a lot of family history there. My wife's parents are buried there. And so we actually spend quite a bit of time in the town of Georgetown. And we had gone up there a couple, well, this was like two years ago. We had gone up one weekend, just my wife kind of likes to go up and go say hi to the folks every now and then. Um, and in this particular instance, she, she asked if she could just kind of be in that area with them alone. And I said, sure, no problem. And so I decided to go for a walk in the cemetery and I had reached this area and it's, this is not like a city cemetery. This is like an old cemetery in the mountains. So, I mean, there are just, it goes up into the mountains. There's trees everywhere. There's no like path or anything. It's pretty wild. And so I'm, I'm kind of in this little area, like back in these tree area and there's um, plots that aren't necessarily designated, but they have like the family will put up a little fence. It's like this little tiny fence around a couple headstones. And I kind of wandered in there because it had a gate and I was just really fascinated by, you know, it just, it looked creepy. So I was super fascinated by the little gate and I wanted to go in there. So I opened the little gate and I walk in and I just, the energy, everything just changed as soon as I walked into this space. Like you could just, the air changed. It got, I mean, it was, incredibly cold. It was, and I just, I I can't even explain it, right? Like you can't really explain the energy change. It's just like, you can feel it. You can just, it's like a tingling sensation all over. And I, it took me by surprise because it was just so sudden, like you just step over this threshold and I wasn't really sure what to do about it. It was kind of freaking me out, but it didn't necessarily feel malicious. So I, you know, didn't spend a whole lot of time in the area, but I did want to check out the headstones and I looked at the headstones and it was a mother and twins. And it was two baby twins that had died probably um, I very shortly. It didn't really say the actual dates. It just had the year. So it was the same year that they were born, that they passed. Uh-huh. And then the mother passed um, just a couple months afterwards. Oh, that's super sad. Yeah. So it was very, and then after I saw the headstone, I really felt like just kind of like an understanding of like, okay, she's just being really protective. She doesn't want anybody here. There weren't any other familiar, you know, there weren't any family headstones or anything else around that area. So um, as soon as I stepped back out again, like, you know, the air just felt more normal. It was kind of back to a regular temperature And I started to walk away and I realized that I had not closed the little gate and I wanted to be respectful. So I turned around to close the gate. And as I was turning around, it just slammed shut. Oh, wow. 
Wow. And Georgetown is usually pretty windy. Like it is windy, like you are in the Rocky Mountains. But on this particular day, there was no wind. I was already kind of under a tree covering. So there was just no reason for it to slam shut with that kind of force. Wow. That's cool. I always love it when you cross a threshold and you can feel it like a thickness in the air. That's crazy. Yeah. So I kind of wandered back over to where my wife was sitting and I was kind of shaken up and, you know, she's emotional and we get back to the car and she was like, are you, are you okay? (laughs) I was like, yeah, you know, so I told her what happened and she was, she kind of poo-pooed it. She was like, it was just the wind. And I was like, okay. Mm. But we had gone back not that long ago. We were up in Georgetown for a family gathering and we went to the cemetery and we started, I wanted to show her. So we started walking over to that area and she's highly sensitive, but she doesn't want to talk about it. Like she doesn't want to go there. It freaks her out. So we didn't get, but halfway, you know, the distance from where we were to, to the gate. And she turned around and was like, we need to go. I'm done. Let's go. Oh, wow. So weird stuff happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely felt it was just like, it was like, I just, it always feels like, I don't want to use the word blessing. That's not right. But it feels like an honor almost to be able to intuit these things and have these experiences. Yeah. And I love to watch people try to describe that feeling because I know what it is. I've lived with it. And it's always fun to watch people try to come up with the words because it's so, it's such a weird feeling that you just can't, you just can't describe it until, until you feel it. Yeah. And I was actually, I hadn't done any planning and I was driving my wife to the airport this morning and we were talking about recording early and I was like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And I didn't do any research. And she's like, what are you, tell the Georgetown story. (laughs) Nice. See, she knows. (laughs) That's too funny. That's awesome. So I don't have any cool personal experiences. Apparently I need to get out there and do more, I guess. Um, So my story, normally I pick something that's off the beaten path and it's not normally, you know, heard about, but this week I went a little different and I'm actually going to talk about uh, the DeFeo murder and the subsequent haunting. So if you don't recognize the name, you'll recognize it in a minute. So around 6.30 on November 13th in 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. entered a bar in Amityville, New York. And he said, you have to help me. I think my mom and father are shot. So he gets a group of you know, people and they go back to his house and they found that his parents were dead. So somebody calls the cops and they come out. And after they search the house, they realize that all six members of the family were killed. So um, the victims were his parents, Ronald DeFeo and Louise, and they were both 43. And then he had four siblings, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John, and they were, they ranged in age from nine to 18. So they'd all been shot with a rifle and it was done about three o'clock in the morning. The parents had both been shot and then twice, and the kids had only been shot with a single shot. So it gets a little weird here. So physical evidence suggests that the mom and her daughter were both awake at the time of her death. And they also thought that the family had been poisoned. So they were all found lying dead in their bed. So Ronald Jr. is the oldest son. And so the police were worried that like something was going to happen to him. And he told the police that he thought 
that it was a mob hitman because one of their relatives was in the mob. So he's like, you know, or I'm worried about me. So they take him, then they start interviewing him and his story starts getting a little weird and things start changing. And so the following day, he confessed that he killed everyone. The hitman, I guess he had actually named him. He had an alibi. He was out of state. So he knew, you know, the gigs up, I have to come clean. So he admitted that he had killed them. He even told them that afterwards he took a shower, he got redressed. He told them where he had dumped the bloodstained clothes he was wearing and the gun. Um, And then he went to work as usual. And then that night is when he went to the bar. So his trial begins um, in October of 75. They're trying to claim that he was insane, that he had killed his family in self-defense because he had hallucinations that were telling him that they were plotting against him. Um, They actually got a psychiatrist who came in and supported that theory and said, yeah, you know, he might be insane. But the psychiatrist for the prosecution was like, yeah, he's on heroin and LSD, but we think he was aware of what was going on when he did it because he tried to lie about it. You know, he made up that that alibi. And if he was really insane, he would have just been like, oh, look what I did. I love how they always say insane people don't lie. (laughs) Right. That's only like a sane thing. Only a sane people lie. So on November in 75, he was found guilty of all six counts and he was sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. So he was never getting out. So a couple more controversies that came up when he was at trial, all six of the victims were found face down in their bed with no signs of a struggle. So they were like, did he flip them over and then shoot them? But they were asleep. Wouldn't that wake them up? The investigation said that the rifle didn't have like a silencer on it. So once he shot the parents, the other kids should have heard. And they said they found evidence of sedatives having been administered to the family. And during one of the versions of his story, he said he drugged them all. But when they did the autopsies, There was nothing in the blood, the organs, anything for toxicology. So they weren't drugged. Another weird thing, they live out in Long Island, but they're on like a canal. So the neighbors are fairly close and nobody heard any gunshots. Also, anybody who was awake at three in the morning said the only thing that they heard was the family. They had a dog named Shaggy and they heard the dog barking outside, but they didn't hear the gunshots. Actually, um, DeFeo Jr., he just died in March of this year. And another kind of weird thing. So normally when you hear some famous mass murderer, serial killer dies in prison, they'll be like, oh, he had cancer. Oh, he died of old age. They still haven't released the cause of death for him. And the prison says that because it would be like an invasion of privacy and against like, I'm assuming they're thinking of HIPAA. So that they can only tell the family the cause of death. But like I said, like you hear about it all the time. Like when Charles Manson died, it was old age, you know, or whatever. And we heard about it. So it's kind of weird that they they didn't say what it was. So just over a year after that, the Lutz family buys this house and moves in. They moved on December 18th. And on the night of January 14th, just over a month later, they left. If you've seen Amityville or The Conjuring, that is this house. George and Kathy Lutz were married in July of 75, 
and they moved into the house that December. Kathy had three children from her previous relationship. Daniel was nine, Christopher was seven, and Melissa, or Missy as she goes by, was five, and they had a dog named Harry. So when they bought this house, it was super cheap because of the murders. Nobody wanted to live there, understandably. But also, nobody wanted to like have an estate sale or clean out the people's furniture. So for an extra 400 bucks, the house came furnished. And I think they bought the house for like $80,000 too. But yeah, so 400 bucks, they get this house fully furnished. And the, the reason they went along with it was because they were like, this furniture is better than the stuff we're moving in. It looks nicer. And they were like, it's too good a offer for us to refuse. Oh yeah, the spooks are free too. <laughs> right? <laughs> and like, when you look off back on it, like, no, I don't want furniture from a house where somebody was killed in. But they were very skeptical of the paranormal. So when they heard, because they were told before they bought the house that, you know, there was a murder there and they were like, well, that's fine. Whatever. We're, we're not worried about it being haunted. And they had no experience with any strange events. And they had taken out like the bloodstained furniture was gone. So it's not like, you know, this nasty mattress is still sitting there and and they kept their own bed and the kids kept their beds too. So it's more like, you know, living room furniture. So one of George's friends, when they heard about them buying the house, they were like, you need to have us blessed. Like before you're moving in, this is terrible. Neither George or Kathy were religious. They weren't practicing. They didn't go to church. George was a Methodist and he had no idea what this blessing would, you know, entail. And so Kathy had been Catholic. Like I said, she didn't go to church anymore, but so she kind of explained. And so they had a priest come in to bless the house. So he arrived while they were unpacking their belongings on that day of December 18th. And so he goes around the house, you know, to do his blessing and he goes up to what will be Kathy's sewing room. He's doing his blessing and he hears like a masculine voice behind him that tells him to get out. And then it was very cold in the room. And even though he was alone, he felt someone slap him in the face, which I think is kind of screwed up. He leaves the house and doesn't tell them about what happened to him. Right. So I was like, what the hell? So then he waits like a full week. And on Christmas Eve, he decides to call them and he tells them to stay out of that bedroom. Like you're going to wait till Christmas Eve. Like you're a priest. Let's ruin Christmas. Right. Yeah. That's brutal. (laughs) And it was like at night on Christmas Eve too. Like that's terrible. And so he tells them that, you know, he heard that voice. But weirdly enough, the the phone call gets cut out because of static. And from then on, anytime he tries to call the house or they try to call the house, they can't get through. Or if they do, it's just super staticky and they can't hear each other. Also, when he left, and maybe this is why he didn't tell them at first. So after he left the house, he got a very high fever and supposedly got blisters on his hands that were similar to the stigmata. So maybe he was freaking out. And then when he felt better, he was like, oh, shit, I should probably tell these people. When George and Kathy heard, they were like, well, we haven't experienced anything in the last week we've been here. Everything's fine. It's almost like there was two different houses, the one the priest looked at and the one we've been living at. We're fine. Of course, once you say things like that, shit hits the fan, right? So Kathy starts hearing voices or sounds in the house. She says they're ugly and disturbing. There's, you know, scraping and banging and footsteps upstairs when everybody's asleep. And for Georgia, didn't, he didn't hear anything for a while. And he was like, you know, it's an old house. 
the floors creak, whatever. One day, Kathy tells him that she was in her room by herself. Nobody was in the house besides her. And she said someone came up behind her and embraced her. And she was freaking out. So when he comes home and she tells him this, he kind of starts to believe her. He's like, you know, she's not one to hallucinate. She's not one to make up stories. And while she's telling him, like, she's clearly very upset. So he starts to be like, hmm, maybe there is something going on. Another weird thing with their haunting is that everyone could be sitting in the same room and not everybody would hear the same thing. So George would hear loud, like music, and he called it like a marching band. And it wasn't like typical marching band, but it was just like, if you got a group of musicians, everybody's playing different things. It's loud and clashy and you can hear people stomping or marching. And so he'd be in the living room with Kathy and he would hear it. And she's like, I don't hear anything. Okay, I'm going to pause you real quick, Allison, because I actually have a question for Cindy. Okay. Have, have you, so I'm always fascinated between the difference of like an apparition or a spirit kind of that's more, you know, ethereal. And then you, like the poltergeist type that is energy that's able to like physically move things and grab you. Have you ever had any experience with a, like a physical kind of thing? I have, but not necessarily grabbed. I think I've been tapped as a teenager. I had um, experiences at Nan and Grandpa's house, but then I would come home and have experiences in my bedroom. Uh, and at, I've always wondered if that was following me home or if it was energy passing by, or if maybe it was me being a teenager. Because the one of the theories about a poltergeist is that teenage angst hormonally thing manifesting. So like, that's one of the theories. So I always thought like, I was pretty angsty. Was I making the lights flicker? Was I making my piano play by itself? Or, you know, there was times I heard a woman singing in the bedroom randomly. So I don't know. I mean, I've never really been shoved or grabbed, or I think that would freak me out for sure. But I, you know how you feel like a brush or like your hair or something. Yeah, I can do it like the disembodied voices. Just don't, don't grab me. <laughs> That's going to make me lose it. Don't touch me, bro. <laughs> okay. So he was hearing that like marching band, as he called it downstairs. And so he thought, you know, they have a clock radio. Like I said, they don't believe in the paranormal. So he's trying to like grasp at straws and think of anything that could be it. And so their house at hardwood floors. And there was like area rugs down. So he was like, well, maybe the area rug was rolled up and somebody was stomping on the hardwood floors, but then he'd go downstairs and everything's fine. Nothing's rolled up and their dog is downstairs asleep. And, you know, dogs are going to wake up if they heard anything like stomping or music or anything and he's asleep. So he's like, okay. So then he starts hearing the front door open and close in the middle of the night. And it's very distinct and heavy and it's old fashioned. So you can hear it all around the house. And when he would go, the dog would be asleep right next to the front door. So it couldn't have opened. It would have hit the dog, the dog sleeping. So he didn't hear anything. George says he's heard pretty much every house, every door in the house slam open and shut with no explanation. Also, George says once they moved in, everyone's personalities kind of changed. And 
it's almost like it made me think of Harry Potter with like a Dementor. Like everybody is like super depressed. Nobody wants to leave their house. They became kind of mildly like agoraphobic. George becomes obsessed with their fireplace. And he says he can never get warm in the house. So he is trying to keep like a raging fire day and night. And then he worries, will they have enough firewood? Should he get more? And so that was really like his most important focus was this fire, which like I said, it's kind of weird. And then one night, um, George is in bed with Kathy and he looks over and she has, she looks like a really ugly old woman. That's what he says. And so he wakes her up and she's, she freaks out because she looks at his face and he just looks like completely disgusted. And she's like, what's wrong? You know? And he has her look in the mirror and she says that there was very deep wrinkles, giant bags under her eyes. Her skin was kind of grayish and her hair had turned all white. And then a few hours later, it wore off. Hours? And then she went back to the way it was. This is like a scene from Beetlejuice, you know, like where they're trying to get their attention. <laughs> yes. and they're like, what's going to get their attention? Yeah. So that's when they really are like, what the hell? Like something's going on. They think weird shit's going on, but they're still not blaming it on the house yet. Every night that George slept in that house, he would wake up between 3 and 3.30. And that's when the murders took place. Every night. Like I said, so this is the Amityville horror. So, like, there's a movie in the book, and they kind of exaggerate things because, of course, they do. But there really was a red room. Kathy was down in the basement, and she's moving stuff around. And she saw this bookcase and she's like, oh, I'll use that. So she moves it. And then behind it, there's a small little area and it was painted bright red. The weird thing was that it's not on the house plans. So it's not in there anywhere. It smells disgusting. So it has that like rotten, decaying smell. And their dog won't go anywhere near it. So it's just like a little tiny room, but it's just disgusting and nobody goes in there. So she had had him downstairs with her and he barked at it and then turned around and ran upstairs. And so they pretty much kept that closed off and didn't touch it. So their youngest daughter was Missy. She was five. While they're living there, she starts telling them that there's an angel named Jody and she can look like a bunch of stuff for her. So sometimes it looks like a pig. Missy can ask the angel to look like different things. So sometimes she'll ask her, hey, will you look like a pig? And then other times she'll just appear looking like a pig. Um, she could change size. My little girl's asking for a pig. I'd be like, can you turn into a fairy? <laughs> <laughs> right? Or a pony or something. Right. I was like, a pig is so random. And they also can change size. So sometimes she said she'd be little and sometimes she was bigger than the house. That's horrifying. That'd be horrifying as a small child. <laughs> yeah. A huge ass pig bigger than your house? Like, what the <laughs> hell? I also don't imagine it's like a cute little like pink pig like Wilbur. Like it'd be like one of those wild boars that have like tusks and look terrible. And so one day Kathy's in the kitchen and Missy comes in and she asks her, can angels talk? And Kathy was like, you know, kind of why do you want to know? Where are you going with this? And she said that there was a, an angel lived in her bedroom. At first, she, you know, Kathy was like, she's five. Kids have imaginary friends. 
But when she started asking if they could talk and bringing up specific things like angels, she got a little freaked out because they're not religious. So it's not like they went to church and she heard somebody talking about an angel and Kathy and George aren't talking about angels. So she kind of just pulled that out and she felt like that wasn't really like a normal thing that a five-year-old would ask. Let me tell you something real quick. Okay. My oldest is 21 now. When he was four, he asked me one day, he just turned four and he said, mom, does God wake you up in the morning? And I was like, um, I mean, well, sort of, I don't know what, again, why do you ask? Where are you going with this? And he said, well, does, does God tickle your feet to wake you up in the morning? And I was like, nope, nope, doesn't do that. (laughs) And like to kids, it's just normal. Like, of course that's what it is, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's amazing. Yeah, I guess it's good that he thought it was God and wasn't like freaked out. Yeah, well, he didn't like that bedroom very much. He's got what I've got. Whatever I've got, he's got it too. So lucky him. (laughs) Right. Do Do all of your boys, do you think, are they all pretty intuitive or not necessarily? Um, I don't know yet because my oldest is 21 and I know that he does, but maybe not to the extent that I do yet, but he certainly does. My middle son is autistic, so I really can't tell. I don't think he does. And then my youngest is 12 and I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause he hasn't really told me any of those weird, like he's never done stuff like that. So maybe, maybe not jury's still out. So interesting. So one day. They're getting ready to leave the house and they asked Danny, which was their son, you know, Hey, can you go close the window in the sewing room? Right. That's where the priest had all those issues. So he goes in there and as he goes to close the window, he somehow had his hands on the windowsill and it crushed both of his hands to the point where they were flat. Like his fingers were flat and they're freaking out and they're like, Oh my God, we need to go to the hospital. And then they looked at his hands again and they went back to normal. They were fine. And so much later when they go, like think back and they talk about it, they say that it was like the house didn't want them to leave. You know, it's doing all these things. And like I said, they start getting that feeling of like, maybe we we don't need to go anywhere. We can just stay here. So in mid-January, they have another attempt at blessing the house. And that was it. They were like, this last night that they were there was so batshit crazy They only talk about part of it. And then they just left. They said it's too frightening and they don't want to talk about it. So on that last night, they hear slamming and noise. And so they go, the kids' beds were being levitated and then they would crash down to the floor. And then Kathy's asleep in bed and she starts sliding away from George on the mattress, like almost like it was at an incline. And then George is hearing that marching band, all the noise and the stomping. And it sounds like every window and door is opening and closing. And George is trying to get out of bed. And he's like momentarily paralyzed. He can't move. He can't get up. And then he felt something climb into bed with them. He couldn't see it, but he could see like the indent on his comforter from like the feet. And then he could feel the weight like dip down on the mattress. And he said he could feel it breathing on his face. They literally grabbed the kids and jumped in the car and were like, let's go. So they go to Kathy's mother's house and they are still being haunted. 
They have another couple episodes of being levitated. They tried to do meditation and they started levitating. So they were like, nope, we're not going to do any more meditating. George wakes up to see Kathy being like pulled up the wall and he grabbed her and pulled her back. And then she wakes up. They, that's kind of their story. So nobody that's lived in this house since then has had any paranormal experiences and the let's say because it came with them and like I said they tried to like explain things away you know and logically and they can't there's it's one of those things where like any one of them are kind of weird but when you put them all together so like they would smell perfume the nasty sewer decay smell were there's no pipes so it's not like they had a pipe leak or, or you know sewage is backing up the changes in the family's personality, him waking up every day, all of that. So since then, they're definitely believers in the paranormal. Took them long enough. Right? right? It would not have taken me that long. I'm pretty sure the old lady, like, that's not going to freak you out. Like, I'm done. Like, that's good. Yeah. They made it 26 days and they've all actually passed polygraph tests. And this was, I think they did them, they said 25 years. So in like 2000, they did polygraphs and they still passed them. Now they speak less about what happened. Well, they've both passed since now. George and um, Kathy both passed away. But in interviews, they would... They got a lot uh, more generic. They don't, it freaked them out enough that they don't want to talk about it anymore, pretty much. So yeah, that's my story. I did. You talked about um, something that the hands being smashed and then they were bright again. Mm -hmm. Something similar to that happened at Nanny and Grandpa's house, but not to me. My cousin, one of my cousins was staying overnight and my Nanny and Grandpa library on one end of the second floor. And he, she often made us sleep on a pullout couch in the library, which is terrifying. I'm not sure I could do that now, like as an adult. She loved porcelain dolls. And so she had them everywhere. Are you freaking kidding me? It's a haunted house right? with porcelain dolls everywhere. No, Rapunzel is going to kill me and sleep. Like, no. So he was sleeping in there and he said in the middle of the night, he was seeing shadows and hearing whispers and stuff. And he started crying and he was freaking out, but nanny would not let him go into the other room. He says that a picture frame that was sitting on a shelf flew off the shelf and hit the ground. And he, and so he didn't touch it. It freaked him out. He ended up crawling to the outside of the other bedroom door and like sleeping on the floor outside of the room or something. Hey, when he went back into the library to get his things, that picture frame was back on the shelf and it was not broken. Right. That's crazy. That's so scary. Yeah. I just, wow. Like, but again, like what an incredible experience, because I think being able to have those experiences just speaks to, you know, the fact that you are sensitive to that, that you are able to see that. Yeah, but I don't want it to happen at my house. Like maybe when we're out, that's okay. But I need like some place to come where shit isn't going crazy. <laughs> I think that would be scary. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I saw the little boy in my living room last year and I was hearing the noises and I recorded myself sleeping one night and I caught like four or five EVPs during that night. I thought, okay, this is my safe space space. Like I'm used to being haunted, but I don't want this to go too far. So I kind of researched a few things and I thought, well, I don't really know if crystals work, but I, you know, what's the harm? They're pretty anyway. So I bought a bunch of amethyst and a bunch of clear quartz crystal, which I wear some of, and I put it throughout my house, basically in every room. And I fact that big white lump, that's a big old crystal in the background. And so I just put it throughout the house and I can't really tell you if it worked or not, but it did slow down and I haven't seen any 
any more apparitions or, I mean, we still hear the kids calling us, but that's about all that happens now. So maybe it worked. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds definitely sounds like you did an energy redirect. Yeah. You know, you're definitely having them take their energy elsewhere. I totally believe that crystals, I'm all about yeah. the crystal life. Oh, well, plus they're pretty. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Cindy, for being on our podcast. Your stories were awesome. Thank you for having me. It was super fun. Yes. Thank you so much. And just sharing your knowledge and all, you know, just all of your experiences. It was my pleasure. Uh, remind us one more time about your podcast and your website. My podcast is True Hauntings and Scary Stories and um, truehauntings.com has links to everything. It's got links to my Patreon, my Facebook group, my um, Twitter. I think Instagram is on there too. Um, if it's not, it's just at True Hauntings on Instagram. So yeah, it's all there. Awesome. And we will make sure that we put links up on our website and social media as well. Please check us out at the number two girls and a campfire.com. And social media at the same. All right. Did we decide on a topic for next week finally? I think, oh, yes, we did. We are going to be talking about uh, nurses. Oh, I'm so excited. So I'm just curious which way you'll go. So are you going to do like the murdering nurse, you know, those angels of mercy, or I don't know, you could even do like Ted Bundy because he goes and kills those nursing students. I'm super excited to see where you pick. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting. I think I'm going to surprise you. Oh, good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you around the campfire.